There's some weird stuff in the Bible, isn't there? You ever thought that before? I know what you're thinking. Pastors aren't supposed to say that. No, it's true. It's true. There's some stuff that we read that we go, that's different. I think for us, especially in our American culture and our view of God, we have to understand that those things play into how we view God. Okay. And uh, this passage that I'm going to read today, there's going to be part of it that's going to seem great. And another part that's going to seem kind of extreme on the other end of the spectrum. And you have to understand that throughout history, all societies, all cultures, there's things in the Bible that sometimes line right up with your culture, right, line right up with your society. And then there's other things the Bible says that you go, oh, this is different. And our goal as Christians is to not be led by culture or society, but to be led by this thing that's unchangeable. Does that make sense? And so we ought to expect, I mean, anybody that knows anything about history, you ought to expect to read this Bible and to have some things that just fit real easy and line up with what you already think. You ought to expect sometimes to read things and go, hmm, I don't know about that. That's kind of tough. Don't know what to do with that. And you ought to expect that. Okay. Um, I think for different cultures and different time periods, it might even be swapped. There might be the first part that other cultures might go, Wow, that is radical. And the, the second part, they go, now that makes sense. Even today. But our goal, we cannot be, and I haven't mentioned to this guy in a while, but we cannot be like Thomas Jefferson, who sat down with two Bibles and a razor blade and said, I'm going to keep this. That, that's, by the way, that's in a museum. That's the actual two Bibles. He, could, he had to have two because if you cut off parts from this side it would from the other side so he'd do the left pages over here and the right pages and this we can't be like thomas jefferson and pick and choose can we no we're going to take it in its entirety so now i'm going to read this passage and i've got slides up here for you and we're going to we're going to take a look at this and we're not going to take our razor blade and chop any of this out Here we go. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So here's this early church. Now, what, now what just happened right before this? Come on, you guys have been here with me. What just happened right before this? Several things. Come on, raise your hands. Yes. Yeah, the lame man walked, right? Yeah. Yeah, the trial, right, where they had to stand before the scribes and the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? They're standing before them, have to give an account. And did the, the Sadducees and the scribes, they say, go ahead and keep preaching about Jesus. Is that what they did? No, what did they do? Told them to stop, right? In fact, threaten them. Stop. Stop doing this. They went back and uh, met with their friends, the rest of the church, and... They prayed together, prayed for boldness. And now we're getting a second summary passage. You may remember that a few weeks ago I said Luke likes to throw in like he'll have a story and then have a little summary passage and then he'll have some stories and have a little summary. This is our second summary passage where he says, now the full number of those who believe are of one heart and soul. I mean, just think of this church. I think we're like this sometimes, just of one heart and soul. We're just in it together. That's how this early church was. And those who believed were, uh, and it says, and, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. So, th I mean, this is kind of a radical view of possessions. Um, 
In reality, this was actually fairly common for this period. There were other religious groups that had the same stand. It's not suggesting that we ought to do the same thing all the time, uh, not to this extreme anyway. Uh, in the Greek culture, this phrasing is actually pulled from Aristotle. You guys ever heard of Aristotle before? Aristotle had some views about what true friendship should be, and he would use words like, hey, true friendship, they, you should have everything in common. But what's different, what's interesting about the Christian use of this, and we're going to see this in this passage, that for Aristotle and the Greeks, they, they were like, yeah, you got your friends and everything's in common and you're just willing to share. But it was usually of people the same social status. What you see in the early church is that we're going to see a variety. You're going to see some people that have own land and property. And you're going to see some poor people. This is unlike what was common in the area for these people. And what's going to be really extreme is you're going to see these people willing to sell what they have and share so that everybody's needs are met without the expectation that I might someday get back in return. That's important. And it goes on, verse 33. Oh, that's already up there. And with great power, listen, to, do you see that word great? The Greek word for great, I love it. The Greek word for great is mega, right? There was mega power is what that says. And we're going to listen for this word great because it's said twice in this passage. And with great, with mega power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So there's that great word again, mega. Mega grace was upon them all. So as the, the disciples, as the apostles are presenting, they're saying, hey, we're, we're witnesses to Christ and to his resurrection. They're presenting it again and again and again. What they come to find out is that as they're doing this and as this powerful message is being preached, the people are, there's great grace that just kind of flows from God down on all of them. And this is how we're going to see this next. It says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Here we see this early Christian community was not composed of people just of all the same background. We got the rich people, they're, they're selling their stuff. And it's not, it's not just that they were all doing this all the time. It was usually as the need would arise. So somebody had a need, and, and God would move somebody and say, I, you know what, I got this piece of land. I don't, I'm going to sell it to meet this guy's need. That's exactly what was happening in this situation. And then we get the introduction to a particular person. Verse 36 says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. Now, this guy is important. So we're getting an introduction to somebody that's going to play a role later through the book of Acts. Anybody that's read through Acts, you guys know Barnabas? Have you heard the name Barnabas before? Yeah, we're going to see him hanging out with Paul and going on missionary journeys. Well, here's our first introduction to him. He's originally from Cyprus, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this laying at the apostles' feet, I'm not thinking we should institute this. Okay, by the way, you shouldn't just, oh, Charity's not on her head, yes. <laughs> Come up here and lay it at my feet. No, um, this was a way of them saying this gift is not for the apostles. It's, it's, we're giving it to the apostles for them to manage. Now, we're actually going to see in a few more chapters that the apostles, this gets to be too burdensome for them to handle this part of the distribution. And they elect these, these men. We, we, we call them deacons. And that's why we have a deacons fund, right, to help with the needs of the church. Um, but these apostles, eventually, they're going to get to the place where they go, Okay, we can't handle this, and so they, have, they elect these men, these deacons, to, to be administers of this, this fund of money. But anyway, Barnabas means son of encouragement. We're going to get to see a lot more of him as we go on. But you know what? What a stark contrast between Barnabas, 
Joseph, Barnabas, and Judas Iscariot. Do you see any similarities between those two guys' stories, like as a contrast to each other? Was there a field involved with both of their stories? Yeah. I think that's kind of significant. I think Luke wants to draw our attention to the, the drastic difference between a Judas who, who betrays Christ, gets money. We see him actually not laying it at the apostles' feet, but throwing it back at the, the scribes and Pharisees' feet, throwing it back at their feet. And that money is used to buy a field, and what's he do? He's, he's gone out and hung himself in that field and died. Here we see Joseph Barnabas. There's money, but it's laid at the apostles' feet. It's a selling instead of a buying of land. And so there's some similarities there that I think that kind of stand out. And any Jew from this time period, anybody that knew scriptures would notice these things standing out. Now, this is where it's going to get a bit odd for us. But I want to say not really. Okay, so you ready for this? But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back part for himself, some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now picture this, first of all, what's happening here. Can you imagine Barnabas, who did this, and even though I think probably in great humility, do you think word got around? I mean, obviously it must have because Luke knows about this story and has recorded it for us. So obviously everybody knew, man, Barnabas, he sold this field and he just took the whole thing and laid it at the apostles' feet to help with the needy. Ananias and Sapphira, I imagine, and as we read the story, I think that you'll, you'll go along with this. I think that this is what's going on here. I think Ananias and Sapphira saw some of the notoriety that Barnabas got and thought to themselves, I went in on that. I went in on that. They kept back. Now, the phrasing here is also very important. It, does anybody know uh, in the Old Testament a story of a man who, who, and we're, I'm going to think back to Joshua's time. Joshua chapter 7, in fact. See if you guys can think of the guy's name. God said, devote everything to God. And this particular guy kept some of it back. Achan, that's right. Achan. In fact, the phrasing that's used here is the exact same phrasing. When you, if you were to read the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, and it's telling the story of Achan, it, it uses the same phrase, kept part of it back for himself. It's the same phrase that's used here of Ananias, kept part of it back for himself. I think there's going to be some important similarities here. For uh, Achan, Achan is right on the, the edge, the cusp, and the children of Israel are going into the land to take possession of the land. Israel's just starting. What do we have going on here? The church is just starting. Ananias is right there at the beginning. This is the cusp of this, this fledgling church. But Peter said... Ananias. So imagine, here, let me go back so you don't read ahead of me. Imagine, so Ananias has come up, and we're going to find out in a minute, Sapphira isn't with him at this particular time. Now, they've obviously conspired together, the story told us, but Ananias comes up and, and, and lays this money at the apostles' feet. Can you picture him doing that? Maybe bowing as he walks back. I, I always imagine him at this point, I don't want to make this silly, but I always imagine him making sure all of it's showing how much he actually gave. Look at this big chunk of money here. Maybe, you know, they didn't have bills, you know, but if they did, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we, got, we got all the, the money here. You know, maybe he drops a few coins so it makes some noise, you know, as he's putting it at the disciples' feet. Oh, I'm sorry, you know. Wow, look what Ananias did. 
But Peter, <clears throat> and Peter, he's just excelling here. God has gotten a hold of this guy. God supernaturally works through him at this point. And Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part for yourself, part of the proceeds of the land? Now, this is really important. Now, listen to what he says next. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? See, there, there was no compulsion to, that everybody should be doing this. And Peter's like, it was your land. And before you sold it, it was yours, wasn't it? And then he says this, he said, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? I mean, you had all the money for yourself. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. See, the, the crime here, the sin here that Ananias committed was not that he kept some for himself. It's that he, and we, we get this from the story, he was clearly trying to make it look like he was another Barnabas. Given this great big chunk of money, I sold it. And because and, that's what he's saying. He said, this is how much I sold it for. Keeping some for himself. He could have kept some. It was his. That's what Peter says. It was, it was your land. It was your money. Why have you done this? Now's where it gets really odd. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Remember that word great I mentioned earlier? Mega. You see it again? And great, same word. Great fear came upon all who heard it. I always get rabbit trailed, sidetracked when I think about these young men though. The young men rose and wrapped him up. And you think about the young men in our church. I just, you know, can imagine if this happened. They're like, okay, you see him getting up. Like, I haven't done an offering like this before. And let's wrap up the guy and take him out. But it's very significant. That it's very unceremonious. Just take him out, bury him. It's really weird because we're going to see in a little bit that Sapphira doesn't even know. Young men, get up. What a day at church that was. Great. Mega fear. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So fire comes in. And Peter said to her, tell me. It's a little bit different than how he responded with Ananias. He, he, he gives her a little bit of an opening here. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She has an opportunity, doesn't she? To say, actually, it wasn't that much. We actually only sold it. We sold it for this much and we kept some. I mean, she has this little opportunity. What did she do? She said, yes, for so much. She doesn't seize the opportunity. She was in on it from the beginning. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Imagine these young men again. Once again, I'm not trying to be silly, but I always imagine these young men. I mean, they just carried in. And they're just back at the door. So you imagine walking back in. Come on, guys. Wrap up Sapphira. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear 
There it is again, mega, mega fear. Came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, like I started off, and I said, there's some things that we read in the Bible that are just odd. Does anybody find this a little bit odd? I hope you find it a little bit odd because we, you know, we haven't done this here. This hasn't happened. I mean, Charity and I, when we counsel people, there's none of them that have lied to us that they just dropped dead. You know, that's, you know, that's that hasn't happened. Austin hasn't had to carry anybody out. So this is odd. This is unusual for us. I think that as we analyze the story, that we need to understand what was at stake. This is the new church. I mean, it's just starting. I mean, this fledgling little church. And what was at stake, what was in danger was the unity and authenticity of the church. And Satan, what's he doing? He's trying to undermine everything. And what's he trying to bring in with Ananias and Sapphira? Fake. Fake. He's, he's attempting to bring in some people that are going to get some praise for their generosity, but it's not real. I mean, Satan right off the bat knows exactly how to destroy this thing. I mean, isn't that exactly what has destroyed the reputation of so many churches, even in our own country? Fake. I would not be surprised if many of you, the, and I found in my life that there's many people that, that their hesitation about church has little to do with what the truth is. It's not, they, they like Jesus, but what, what's happened? They met some fake people going to church. Dishonest. Trying to come across looking real good, but everybody knows it's all an act. What's God do? Notice that it's, it's, it's not that Peter casts judgment. Peter just confronts. Who casts the judgment in this scenario? Isn't it God himself? Peter just confronts. God casts the judgment. I asked myself this week as I was looking at this, and I was thinking, man, what do I do? How do you preach a message on this? You know, she, Ashley was asking me what the passage was because sometimes she tries to get music to line up with it. And I was like, I don't know what kind of music you're going to get that lines up with Ananias and Sapphira falling down dead in the church. I don't know what, what song goes with that. But <clears throat> I was trying to think, you know, what, what do we do with this? I mean, how do I preach a sermon on Ananias and Sapphira? I, I think what we ought to do is think of this as a... A pendulum balancer. Have you ever heard that phrase before? How the pendulum swings one way and then it swings back the other direction. And, and as a culture, as a society, sometimes these things over here, sometimes these things. I mean, this ought to serve for us as a pendulum balancer. I think we're all over the grace of God. We love it. When he's talking about great power, great grace, we're like, yeah, I want mega grace. But it was just as important for this early church to have mega fear. And see, that seems unusual to our mentality, doesn't it? I mean, if I get up here and I start talking about God, and, and I, I think in our culture today, if I start getting up and start talking about, you ought to fear God, I even have to change my voice and make it sound that way. You must fear God. 
People start thinking, man, is he going to talk about hellfire and brimstone next? What's happening? I thought this was a loving church. It's important, though. As a, as a pastor, I can't be like Thomas Jefferson, can I? You think I should have skipped this? Kind of hide it like it's a little dirty secret. Oh, by the way, sometimes people, when they were fake with God, God just killed them. Should I have swept that under the rug? And said, we're not going to talk about that stuff. That's sad. Let's talk about more grace. Let's talk about the lame man leaping again and the blind receiving their sight. I can't do that, can I? It's there. Luke recorded it. It's essential. Jesus at one point, um, in talking about persecution and facing the trials that we're going to face, Jesus is telling his apostles, so this is way back, and the one I'm going to share with you is recorded in Luke. Jesus is sharing with them really who they're going to face in the battle. And a lot of times we think about that. We think about the opposition we get as coming from Satan. That's absolutely the truth. But you have to understand that ultimately, when Jesus came to this earth to save us, He's saving us from the judgment of God. He's not saving us from Satan. He's saving us from God's judgment. God, as a righteous, just judge, has declared that all men are guilty and deserve death. This great God who who stands on one hand and is, is the judge of all the earth is also a gracious God. He says, but I've also made a way through my own son. And Jesus comes to this earth and he takes the penalty, the wrath of God upon himself and offers us his righteousness. That's what this is about. But Jesus says, he's talking about the opposition we face. Make sure to point out this. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. That's the truth, isn't it? But I will warn you. Warn you. Whom to fear. This is Jesus, by the way, speaking. Kind, loving, sweet Jesus. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I think something that's lacking in a lot of our churches today is a balanced perspective of God. We like the great grace. But too often we say, well, I'm just going to live however I want. I don't mind coming to church. See, it's easy to it's easy to start talking about all those other churches with all those fake people. But what about you guys? What about me? Do we want to come here and act like we've got our acts together? Make a show of our uh, religious lives and, 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 and go out looking fine, but the reality is we're a bunch of fakes? I mean, do we want that here? No. But what's important is to understand, does God want that here? Does God want that here? No. And he's serious about his church. I mean, don't get scared. I'm not praying that every time you lie that God's going to strike you dead. I, I really, i got to be honest, I hope that doesn't happen. I would not like that. Having somebody come up, can you imagine how that scary that would be? But this, that's why this story is shared. We ought to have some measure of reverent fear of this great God. 
to go, he is gracious, but he's not one to be trifled with. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Don't kid yourself. And too many of us today want to take advantage of that gracious side of God. And these stories in the Bible are there to remind us who he really is. Who this God is. Great grace. Great power. Mega grace. Mega power. But we ought to have as a people. Mega fear. Of this great God. Let's swing that pendulum back. And let's be balanced. I'm going to pray. In closing. And when I do. Austin's going to sneak out. And get ready for his baptism. After I'm done praying, I'm going to share something a little with you before while he's getting ready. But let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do just uh, thank you for this day again. Lord, I, I read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and Lord, it's drastic. In my mind, I think, wow. And in my mind, I even think, Lord, why didn't you give them a chance to, why didn't he just confront them and give them a chance to be honest about it? And uh, That's not what happened. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk away from this story with this understanding that, yes, you are still that great, gracious God. But you're also not a God to be trifled with, be toyed with, to use for our own benefit. We ought to fall on your grace with fear. Lord, I just pray that you help this church. pray that you would protect it. Lord, I pray that all of us in this room, if we come in here and we're fake, Lord, God, I pray that you protect this church. Keep us sincere. Keep us authentic. We're all sinners. Lord, we don't want to mess with you. We want to experience your grace. Lord, help us to fall on it day after day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, well, thank you. Is my voice sounding? Yeah. Okay, I have to. um, I want to share something for two reasons. One, because I need to waste a couple minutes while Austin's getting ready. Um, And then I think my dad has to pull. Oh, here I got it. Man, that was fast. Um, Austin just needs to be happy because my dad almost decided to not put the heater and just let him suffer. But he was nice. He put the heater in the water. It should be nice and warm. Uh, I do want to say, though, before uh, I go back here, uh, this is kind of an important thing for me personally. Um, when I was a kid, I was baptized. I don't remember how old I was. My mom might remember how old I was. I don't remember. But as I got older, I started reading some passages of Scripture that, that made me think, I, I don't think that was real. I can remember the one in particular, and I've shared this many times before. I, I read James. In fact, it's a very, I, I remember it because it was the very first time I ever really opened my Bible and tried to read something to get something out of it. I remember, never forget it. Opened it up. And I don't ever promote the whole, like, just open it up and read something, but that's real, literally what I did. And it just so happens that I landed on James 2.14, which says, What does it profit my brethren if a man says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? I've never read this before. I'd probably heard it, but it must have gone in one ear and out the other. 
I did some more research, some more study, and began to realize that knowledge of salvation does not come from, you know, feeling something within yourself. That's part of it. But true knowledge of salvation comes from when you say, ah, there's faith and there's works. See, you can't go, and this is what James goes on to describe. See, I could never go up to you and go, hey, do you want to see my faith? And you go, yeah. And I go, okay. You know, here it is. We can't do that, can we? You cannot see faith. But what can you do? You can see the results of it. So, as I continued to read and study, I thought, you know what, I, I don't. Maybe, honestly, I'll tell you right now today. I don't know if I was when I was a kid or not saved. I, I go back and forth. But I know in 1992, I got saved. I know for sure that if I wasn't before, at that point when I started reading scripture, I knew I, I'm God's. I'm all in. I'm all in. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to pray now for all that are in this room. Lord, I just want to ask before we leave today that you would be a blessing to everyone in this room this week. Lord, keep us safe as we go through our weeks. Lord, I pray that as well, Lord, that you reveal yourself to us, Lord, as we're seeking uh, you by reading your word. God, I just pray that you would bless each and every person that's making those efforts, God. I pray that you would bless them, keep them, Lord, reveal yourself to them. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.